Welcome to The Small Podcast. I'm Jonathan Evans, Marketing Manager and Ex-Recruiter at 10 Years. With me is my co-host and Managing Director of The Small Consultancy, Caroline Hall. Hi. Each episode, we talk to the people forging careers in and solving the problems of private equity and private equity-backed scale-ups, startups, and carbons. Our guest today is Miles Lloyd. Miles' career spans an impressive list of accomplishments across a wide range of industries, including not-for-profit, recruitment, and sports. Amongst other things, Miles is currently leadership coach and business mentor in the English Premier League, a founder of his own business consultancy, Milestones, and he's a co-founder of North Star People, advising recruitment leaders. Miles has kindly agreed to talk to us today on a number of topics, including DEI, or diversity and inclusion, a topic that's close to his heart, and also a business venture that he embarked on in 2021. Welcome, Miles. Hi. Hi, Miles. We, um, we obviously sat down a couple of weeks ago and, and tried to look at what the content for this podcast would, would look like, because there was quite a number of areas, I think, that certainly listeners of this podcast will benefit from, including the leadership side, um, the, the taking a business to sale, which we will hopefully touch on later. But one of the, the big areas we thought that would be of a big benefit this time, and it's a topic that's obviously quite a hot topic at the moment, but something that a lot of people don't really know where to start is the topic of diversity and inclusion or diversity, equality and inclusion. Um, so it's probably the area we'll start to focus on the beginning of this, you know, with the beginning of this show. But in the first instance, do you just want to give us a quick whistle-stop tour of obviously who you are and how you came to be doing what you're doing now? Okay. Um, well, look, it's good, good to be part of, uh, of, of the podcast. And yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. Um, how, how do I come to be here is um, probably more sort of um, by chance than design. Um, my, my background is actually quite corporate BD, so financial services, IT, and, and latterly recruitment. But I, I, I found out 20 years ago that I'm a really rubbish employee, um, and therefore I better go and do something for myself. So I, I started my own business consultancy and um, started off just really sort of trying to help people be better um, around business development. That was, that was what I did. So I just reached out to a number of people and said, look, um, I'm available. Do you need any help? And fortunately, half a dozen or so people reached back out and, yeah, we, we, we know you, you trust you. Come in, have a look at what we do and, and, and make us be better. And over the early years of, of my consultancy work, I found that it, it, it evolved away from just being BD to start looking at you know, strategy um, and performance as well. And the reason being, I was, I was having a number of business owners sort of uh, pointing the finger of blame at their BD directors, heads of sales, whatever it might be. And, and I was having to go back and say, look, the problem's not actually there. The problem's sort of with you and with that senior leadership team. You know, there's no strategy. There's no direction. There's no purpose. You know, maybe at the back end, you're, you're losing customers quicker than they're bringing them on. So rather than keep, you know, beating them up and, 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 and sort of trying to get them to do more, 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 it's about actually let's, let's, let's get things right before sales happens. Let's get things right after sales happens and therefore we can be really efficient, really effective and, and, and deliver. Um, and that's, yeah, that's very much, much where my consultancy sort of went. And then, you know, just sort of closing the circle, I suppose, in terms of what brought me here today. Um, I, I, was, I was approached rather left field, if I'm honest with you, by a private equity uh, organization in the Northwest 
to go in and what I did was effectively go in and direct um, transformational change program of a rather dysfunctional organizational small group of organizations before with a view to um, basically flipping it selling it um, started off as a as a three-year plan um, became five years after the first six months due to the significant challenges um, <laughs> that we found in the organization um, financially and, and structurally as well um, but that, that concluded in a in a split trade sale which was good for the for the uh, PE house and also good for the investors as part of that project and then I went back doing consultancy um, predominantly within staffing talent and recruitment um, mm. and then and then COVID led to this interesting organization that I co-founded it, it, it was a child of COVID a business called Level Equals which is all about consciously inclusive talent acquisition to sport leadership so I'm not a DEI consultant by by nature or trade my, my focus mm -hmm. is very much DEI through the lens of talent acquisition um, attraction acquisition and retention but all of a sudden I find myself doing an awful lot in that space now with a lot of businesses because I think you made the point earlier um, John you know a lot of organizations struggle they don't really know where they are on this there's a lot of generalist mm. consultancies out there doing DEI you know talking about culture mm. talking about this talk, you know looking at it in the round mm. policies procedures but what I'm doing with level equals and what we're doing as an organization is, is helping them make change actually happen delivering the mm. results rather than delivering policies and talk and conversation around it yeah yeah that's really interesting and as you said there's um, well, you know, we used to call it box ticking, didn't we? Where you'd go in and mm. you'd have a policy and you'd be going, yes, no, yes. So mm. results-driven d &I is still something that completely new, I think, to a lot of people because mm. it has just been that box ticking for so long. I think, first of all, I, I was interested to understand, so do businesses kind of actively seek you out? And, you know, what kind of stage are they in when they come to you? You know, do they kind of have an idea what we want to do this? Or is it somebody on the board is pushing them to do this and they don't know where to start? It, yeah, it's a really interesting point or point you make there because everything you've just said actually applies. Uh, there is no specific one direction of travel or point of engagement. So, you know, in terms of level equal, we have approached some organizations to talk to them. We've had a number of organizations come to us where they might have seen us speak at an event. Um, we were, we've funnily enough, just um, done the second of the Include Summits, and the Include Summit is a, a very large event. Um, it was Birmingham last year, Manchester this year. Don't know where it's going to be 2024, but it's all about um, DEI within sport. So you know, we were there, we were talking. And many, many people just approached us afterwards and said, do you know what? We need your help. We need your support. Now, interestingly, mm. we've had with one of our clients at Level Equals, it was one of their non-exec directors that founders engaged the conversation and pushed it through from, from their end, through board down um, onto an unsuspect, unsuspecting uh, community within within their football club and, and, and other organizations we've had it, it has been bottom up where there's been a you know um 
a, a DEI lead, a, a, a relatively, you know, within all, many organizations, some of those DEI lead positions are hybrid roles with other roles because mm. they, they haven't warranted a full-time uh, person doing that role yet. So we've had people see us and say, wow, I really want you to work with our organization. And, and, but how can we do that? How can, how can we influence the senior leaders who, who are going to make a decision on, on these types of things? So it really is a case of all different angles. And the starting point every time, John, is different. You know, yeah. everybody's, everybody's sort of realizing they need to be on a journey now on, on DEI. Um, yeah. But in every organization, they're at very, very different stages. Most, most, most organizations do have a policy. Um, not all yeah. do, but some do. Um, but then, my goodness, um, what they're doing in terms of actually living it and breathing it. Um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah completely different every time. I bet. I bet. Interesting. And this kind of goes back to something you were saying earlier. You know, you were going into businesses as a consultant and, you know, they were going, can you fix the sales team? And you're looking at it and going, well, actually, it's the management team that needs fixing, you know, and, yeah. and dealing with that kind of reluctance. I mean, if somebody is in, as you said, you know, it's bottom up driven, you know, they've realized in their organization that, you know, something needs to be done. How would you advise them to start going about that influencing piece with their senior management and get them to realize that they do need to, to act? Yeah, I think I think for me, it, it, you know, it's all, it's all about understanding what role DEI plays within the purpose strategy of an organization. You know, if you're going to influence senior leaders, you've got to position your influence in an area that's going to impact on making them look good, helping them achieve their outcomes. So therefore, you know, they're probably they will tick boxes from a okay, we need to have this. So let's just tick that box, but then won't really put, put any importance on it. So we need, you know, we need to move DEI away from that and actually talk about what the impact of doing X, Y, and Z will have on that organization, how it will help that organization on its journey to where it wants to go. And I think, you know, for me, that's, that's the critical thing because, you know, we've all seen around, you know, DEI and, and talent acquisition recruitment, mm. you know, for example, tokenism you know oh let, let, let's get a black person on the board because it's full of white people let's get somebody who's dis, who's obviously disabled you know because that will that will that will help us won't it you know let's let's have intern programs to attract and get more ethnic diversity and i'm i'm just giving some real examples that i've seen where it's purely tokenistic um you know yeah, and, that, and that's and that's really frustrating from my point of view because you know what what this is about is actually bringing the best talent through but in a way of being really inclusive in that talent acquisition and therefore you're, you're presenting opportunity for all you know you're not excluding people you're actually bringing people who probably have felt excluded um mm. in the past to get given that confidence to, to have some real value in, in what that organization is doing so yeah just coming back sorry i've, I've gone off on a tangent um yeah what it what <laughs> it really great. comes down to for me it's it's yeah you know okay great that you want to do this with us or great that you see value in us but what part what in what we do what's the impact that's going to have on your organization how how is that going to help you achieve what you want to achieve going forward and that's not just from a talent acquisition perspective the usual pain points, you know, time to hire, cost to hire, um, 
mm. you know, visibility of process, you know, DEI metrics that may be in place in there. But as, as we all know, you know, um, I'm not particularly well read. I'm not very academic with people with huge brains compared to mine. Most, most people probably compared to mine, but you know, there's no doubting. You can't argue the case now, whether it's Harvard, McKinsey, whoever, you know, a diverse organization with diverse leadership, those organizations outperform those that don't. So if you're a business leader, even if you're skeptical of all this stuff and just see it as, oh yes. You know, oh God, it's something that we're going to need to do. You know, you're not even bought into it, even if you're going to no. come at it from that angle, just from a purely <laughs> yeah. selfish wanting to have a successful yeah. company. Well, do it, do it from that reason alone. You know, I don't, mm. I don't advocate doing it that way. But if that's the motivator, then, if that's the starting know, point, yeah, then great. Yeah. We're at least starting on that journey. Show them the evidence. Show them, don't, you know, keep, keep, keep yeah. us under the radar. Talk to them about these reports. Talk to them about the impact that yeah. diversity has on organisations' success. And then, great, we can be part of the solution. That's, that's, that's and there's so much data out there, so much data out there now about yeah. successful businesses and if they have a diverse leadership yeah. team and how successful, especially during COVID, that was quite interesting, the stats on women-owned uh, businesses or run businesses and how well yeah. they were doing. So, yeah, there's so much information out there to use as evidence. Yeah, it is, and, and so much around the, the impact of diversity of thought as well. And you know, mm. I, I think one of the challenges for many organisations is actually understanding what we mean by diversity. You know, first and foremost, yeah. um, you know, we, many people have heard of you know, nine protected characteristics. But what are they, and, and, and what does that mean for us? Mm. You know, there's the issue of intersectionality and, and the role that plays. But then there's things that aren't covered under law. You know, things like social mobility, which I'm you know, really passionate about. One of the main drivers behind myself and my business partner, Francis, starting Lovely was the lack of social mobility, the lack of opportunity from ev for everyone from an um, underprivileged, you know, low socio socioeconomic background, you know, and it's like, you know, these people are amazing. They just don't have any anywhere near the opportunity that others from much higher levels of privilege do, you know? 100%. Yeah, I mean, definitely. This sudden, I mean, it's been brought up, and we we talked to you, Miles, about the the last question that we asked on this podcast just before we started, and it's been brought up a number of times when you know we've had we've asked that question, and it always comes back to how do you remove those barriers for social mobility, essentially, and yeah. normally aimed at you know when we've been looking at you know it's always aimed at, at childhood, but when you're doing this kind of DNI work now, you're not doing it with children necessarily, you know, you're doing it to get people who've already been disadvantaged into the workplace, um, which I find, you know, really interesting. Could you just sort mm. of expand on that in terms of what sort of things people could be looking at doing, you know, to improve social mobility within their organisations? Well, first and foremost, um, as with all areas of, of, of diversity um, and trying to get more inclusive cultures in organisations, understand where you are right now. So, you know, something talk to organizations about is well talk to you about your diversity right now as an organization how how diverse are you as, as as a business and where and where is diversity and where isn't diversity because i tell you what most people just sort of start scratching their heads and realizing uh, and, and and maybe throw up the old example of oh yes we've got a we've got a black person over there and we've got a disabled <laughs> person here and we've and we've got somebody who's who's admitted to having depression over there Oh, that makes us diverse. Oh, and we've got this number of women and we've got, you know, and it's all a bit, 
mm. messy and a bit sort of piecemeal and fragmented. So look, why not start with a DEI audit? Why not do something to understand right now where you are as an organization, you know, around age, around gender, around sexual orientation, so on and so forth. Now, these things aren't easy to do, are they? Because people are suspicious. Well, why are you asking me that? You never asked me when I joined. It's, but, you know, so, so it's about how you position that type of thing. But, you know, for me, organizations, yeah, knowing where you are right now is, is the most critical thing. It's not about beating yeah. yourselves up or even celebrating where you are. It's just saying, right, where are we right now? How does that look? How, do, how does that make us feel? Um, mm. Where do we think we, we should be? And importantly, how do we, how diverse are we? But in relation to the community that we serve, the location maybe that we actually are, because, you know, the reality is if you are an organization geographically based in an area that has very little ethnic diversity or you know religious mm. diversity or whatever well you know it's it, it's going to be really hard for you to just sort of be an exemplar organization so so it's not about being the very best in class you know but it's about saying well where are we now and where should we be and where do we want to be and then and then you can start thinking right what can we do what do we mm. need to do to then change that yeah yeah, it's interesting you mentioned geography there because we've been looking at this for a blog recently, Marie Caroline, and it's mm. it, it's there's such a massive. I mean, there's so many areas at the moment that still have massive talent gaps. I mean, you'll know from mm. your your experience going into transformation, digital transformation, for example, is something that is there's a huge talent gap in this country at the moment, and if all you're doing is putting barriers up to your local population you know that to do it yeah. and you're missing a massive opportunity if you're not analyzing mm -hmm. what your di looks like within your organization because as you said on your doorstep there could be quite a large population that you're just not not consciously not including but aren't including because of your historic processes and practices it, look the, who you are as an organization and how you come across to the people within that community um, be it ge geographical or sector wise or whatever it's really important you know so do you have do you have um inclusive benefits as an organization you know do, and if you do do you actually overtly put those out um into that public domain you know are you are you open about your salaries that when you're recruiting is, is that out there as part of it or is it, yeah. is it is it secretive is it hidden away is it tucked away you know because because there's so much around dei and look i'm no i'm no dei expert you know i'm not i don't want to be on this saying that i am because i'm not because it is vast as a topic as, as an issue but you know parity pay gender pay gap you know so if you're if you're hiding those numbers away from people and um, you know on application or for negotiation or dependent on experience People are just like, oh, hang on a minute, what, what, what are they concealing? Why, you know? Um, so yeah, I think you've got to you've got to paint a really clear picture of yourselves as an organisation. But be honest, and it, and if you're, you know, behind on the curve, then you can be honest about that as well. But I think organisation, sorry, people wanting to people want to work for organisations um, that are open, that are honest, that are hopefully, you know, inclusive. But, but, you know, if they're not perfect, that's cool. Just say you're not perfect. But if you talk to people about yeah. where your focus is, what you want to do, how you want to change, why you want to change, then you, you start to build those bridges back because, you know, again, you know, I hate to go back to academic survey, but there's been so much work done in this area of 
you know, and it's tragic, my background of IT recruitment, you know, there's a lot of people, South Asian extraction, changing their surnames, changing yeah. their first names, because yes. they know they're not going to get a bloody interview unless they change their difficult to pronounce, obviously South, South East Asian extraction name, something else. It used to really upset me, you know, um, that they felt people feel the need to do that. It's tragic. Um, yeah. They're having to be something they're not to try and get opportunity that otherwise would be not there for them. Yeah, 100%. I, and we've even talked in various roles of, of handing in a, uh, a, a retracted CV. So you take away the name, you take away yeah. that sort of information. So they're seeing it from the experience. And it's terrible we have to do that in order to take away that bias. Well, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, you know, bias creeps into process absolutely everywhere and again mm. you know it's why Francis and I took eight months to develop level equals as a process as a structured methodology mm. for talent acquisition because at every stage we're having to think how do we remove both conscious and unconscious bias and yeah. manage yeah. bias where you can't remove it because you can't mm. remove it everywhere you know you just can't it's as simple as that so yeah. it's about being aware of it all the different stages and then how do we remove what we can remove? How do we manage what we can manage more effectively? Mm -hmm. um, nothing will ever be perfect, but yeah, being able to give everybody a fair chance and an equal yes. chance is, yes. is, is what this is all about for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you said often it's just getting people into the process is half mm -hmm. the battle, I think, there. And I mean, similar to you, you know, my background was IT recruitment. And, it, and it's sad because you come up with ways of presenting candidates to people because you as you said you know you, you use phrase like native english speaker or something like horrible like that because you know as soon as the person looks at the name on that cv that's as far as they're going on that that cv and they won't mm -hmm. go any further mm -hmm. um so yeah it, it it is it is definitely about getting people into that process i think is half the battle um interest obviously you know you mentioned that you're not this dni you know there's this this the DNI guru, if that's not the right word. <laughs> the, it, but as you said, it's one of those topics that's so wide. And to do properly, how much do you have to kind of get more people involved? So, you know, you mentioned there's a kind of, you, you know, you should have somebody who's running this within an organization. But then, as you mentioned, you know, you have to think about benefits. That person's not going to have specialist benefits knowledge, for example. So, you know, is this something that needs to become mainstream as part of a wider HR function, for example? Look, I mean, it, it's a people issue. And therefore, you know, if an organization is large enough to have an internal HR function, then yes, it absolutely sits fairly and squarely there. But, but DEI is part of culture. And therefore, that sits with the CEO and sits with the senior leadership team. So it sits there. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's everywhere. It's 360 within an organization. And, and, and that's, that's the importance, as I said, of you know, going in and understanding where you are as an organization right now and what you need to change. Because there will be low-hanging fruit you know, um, mm. that you can do. And it's about saying, actually, let's look at our benefits and say, actually, how inclusive are they? What could we do? You know, and the great thing is nowadays, I mean, crikey. You know, there's so much uh, literally at our fingertips, isn't there? You know, mm. there's Google, there's ChatGPT, there's all these different things, you know, other AI platforms 
are available but you know that's what every, everybody uses um, you know but it but the reality is is you know you could just type into you know that or bard or whatever and say you know um what makes a good you know what are the 10 things that make make, make a good you know inclusive benefits package and it will tell you and therefore oh what have we got what haven't we got right let's go and research that boom it doesn't it doesn't take a genius um but the, the impact that that will have you know if you're talking about flexible working if you're talking about hybrid working if you're talking about shared parental leave if you're talking about you know lots of other things that you could talk about as an employer you know um you know caregiving things like that you know there's, there's just so much that you can do as a business yeah. to just demonstrate to people that we're an inclusive employer and what it isn't is putting a paragraph i was going to swear then but put a paragraph at the back of the job ad <laughs> saying we actively encourage applicants from yada yada bloody that is the most bs piece of stuff that goes on and it's crazy do they really think people are going to just like oh well i wasn't going to apply but now that you've said that you actively encourage me i'm going to go and just stuff like that it's just crazy I, I, you know people just need to just wake up and and get real about this and think about how how do we go about attracting yeah. all those people that don't find exactly. it attractive right now how do we do the yeah. outreach how do we change our language to encourage more people mm. to come into the process you know it's, it, you've got to put in the hard yards and, and you know to, to deserve the right for people then to come to you automatically because you're seen as this employer choice in this space you know absolutely mm. and i and I, I wax lyrical a bit about now uh, shared parental leave because i think it's so key so key for people yeah. to really consider that as part of their benefit. It really, it really, it's, really is. You know, I want to yeah. be, um, you know, as as a as a, as a as a father of two young children, I want to be involved. I want yeah. proper time off when they're born. I want to be able to go and be part of their lives, do drop offs, do pickups. I want to be able to go to the summer show. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some real rubbish stuff they do that I don't want to be involved in. You know, <laughs> the, the end of year disco being one because my dad dancing's <laughs> horrific, but. Um, <laughs> You know, yeah, exactly. So why can't I yeah. do that? Just because I'm a man, I don't want to, you know, this isn't the 1950s now, come on. No, you know. it's really got to move for the time. So women can have a career and not go, right, I want children now. That's yeah. it. That's yeah. it now. I've got to stop, you know, because yeah. that is the realism at the moment is of, of parents. And we, we had a podcast uh, recently with somebody to come back from adoption leave. And that was a really interesting subject as well, and how she's back in the marketplace. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> critical. And the thing is, you know, we talk about war for talent. We talk about scarcity of skill, you know, and something I did, you know, with that business I had in Cheltenham, that, that PE-led business that went and transformed. First thing I did is when, when anybody was resigned, I had a brilliant HR manager, Caroline, her name was. Um, Caroline Barnes, amazing, lives down in Great the name. southwest superb just she's an amazing person and um but i said to caroline at the time look if anybody leaves let's not immediately think about replacing them with one person let's think about how we fill those hours and actually do we do we create you know two part-time roles three part-time roles you know how can mm. we how can we attract you know and, and, and it is sad and I, I totally agree with you caroline you know because it is most women who give up the career mm. pause the career to go and have children and, and it's rather enforced by many organizations they're not given there's no choice any other way around yeah. but how do we yeah. how do we get those people back into work and, 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 mm. and because they're amazing you you can get look and I, i'm going to come at this from the 
and I'm not a greedy sort of profit profiteering CEO, but I'm going to come at it with that mentality mm -hmm. is you can for your money, if you offer proper, proper flexible working and really, really, you know, um, patterns that fit around schooling and things like that, you can get some amazing bang for your buck in terms because because most organizations aren't offering it. So even if you're going to do it from a purely selfish standpoint about making more yeah. money and having better people, you know, and actually probably people that deserve a lot more money than you're offering, just just offer that flexibility. You'll get some amazing talent 100%. in your organization. But I don't want people 100%. doing it for that reason. No, but it's 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 fifty percent of the workforce, isn't it? And and we're losing a huge proportion of that. I and mean, I'm just focusing on women at the moment. Yeah. But but you know that there, there's a huge huge side that's just not been or talent pool that's not being tapped into because they can't. They're having to give up work. It's crazy. Just, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and, yeah, and, and particularly you know getting getting more women into into leadership in an organisation. Yes, that's it, critical as well because yeah. you know hopefully by diluting the level of sort of testosterone within leadership environments, it gives a much more much more balanced approach to decision making. 100%. You know, diversity of thought. And again, I know we're just talking about gender here, but you know, organisations yes. are absolutely missing a trick if all you do is look around the room and it's full of white men. It, it, it ain't going to work. Okay. It's just no. Not. No, BBC did um, a survey, they do it annually, and we, I launched it to my website, and I can't remember the stats, but senior leadership with women specifically dropped to 17% in PE world. And it was such a shocking figure. It started off about 52 or something like that, 49, sorry. And it's just yeah. dropped when it comes to senior leadership to 17%. So they're really interesting stats, actually, within that, within that especially with... Um, minority etc etc so um but yeah it's shocking it needs to it needs yeah to it, 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 it really does and i think you know um i don't like to beat people with a stick and i don't like to mm. mandate things but i think you know the more organizations are encouraged to publish data to have overt yeah. metrics within their organization to hit certain targets around all these key critical issues. It, it, if we've got to force change, then I think we have to force change. Mm -hmm. um, and it's down to, and this is where, you know, again, we're not polit political on this on this podcast, but that's where, you know, government just needs to step in and say enough's enough. Okay. We're going to make change yeah. happen. We're going to drive it. And, you know, it's all right getting these massive blue chip corporates to publish stuff. But what about all those other businesses where mm. they just seem to be able to just carry on without any yeah. real scrutiny um and yeah. it's, and it's it's crazy because they're, they're actually hamstringing themselves anyway in the long term as mm. organizations they really really are but yeah you know we've got to we've got to change the world haven't we surely you know make it better and talent really helps drive that that's yeah. that's where it can really help drive that proposition as i said and the and the whole messaging everything that you do to the outside world when you're trying to hire you know, talent can really make be at be at the forefront of that. I mean, yeah, you you could be right, Karen. You know, they they are the people out in the marketplace, often. You know, mm -hmm. the ones being those brand ambassadors. I mm -hmm. I mean, the example of it it seems wrong to call it low hanging fruit for benefits because it can has you know as we've already discussed, it can have such a massive impact on everything, and it's one thing you see people on LinkedIn moan about the most is, you know, when they see somebody offering 
22 days holiday, bank holidays and free parking, you know, it's, it's their benefits package. But it, it, it impacts so many areas, you know, the, as you said, it's a really wide area. You know, you've got neurodivergent people, you know, need the flexibility, you know, to be able to perform effectively. You have people from low socioeconomic backgrounds who are more impacted by things like childcare costs because they can't afford it, you know, so they don't have those opportunities. So if you've got somebody going, well, do I go back to work? No, you know, we can't afford the childcare costs. Then mm. it's it's a non-starter right from the beginning. So mm. it impacts so many of those different characteristics. They, yeah, mm. I mean, it's it's it, it does seem like it would be such a stupid thing for people not to be doing, as you said, yeah. even if it for a purely selfish reason that there are benefits mm. to. So, um, on that 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 one of of practical sort of steps you can take, um. In terms of initial filtering of candidates coming through, are there any sort of things you'd advise there on people that they can do that are kind of quick fixes while they're doing the other ones just to kind of make things better from the off? Blimey. Um, I mean, you know, we've talked a little bit about the benefits side of things, and that's all part of traction um, because mm -hmm. getting people to have a look at you and seriously consider you as an organization yeah you've got you've got to do an awful lot um you know something and i'll if you indulge me for a couple of minutes you know um we, we talk to businesses all all the time about is look at the language you're using in your copy um look at the information that you're putting out if you're using things like candidate packs or whatever um you know there's, there's again i'm going to come back to tech here but using technology to look at Mm. Um, how the language is gender coded, um, and that and that there's loads of tech freely available. Again, just Google it or whatever, and and and, and stuff will pop up that you can use. Some of it's free, some of it's software as a service. But you know, looking at overtly masculine advertising mm. in certain sectors, you, you know, it's just crazy. It really is, and they wonder why mm. you know they they get you know ninety five percent of applicants men because the language you're using it's overtly masculine mm. and. You know, another another thing, and, you know, we talked about studies earlier, but, you know, women, as we know, have much higher standards of themselves than men do of themselves. And therefore, you know, um, an advert that is a colossal long list of, you know, must-haves, nice-to-haves, desirables, yada, 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 goes over onto the second page and it repeats and more things that you're asking for. All you're doing is pushing women away from that opportunity because... Mm -hmm. You're just putting barriers and barriers in front. So we always say to, say to our, our clients, you know, keep it simple, keep it small. What's really important, and forget everything else. It's all white noise. Because the thing is, women traditionally have, you know, if, if, if they'll look at themselves and they'll, they'll scrutinize their ability to do that role, they'll look at the ad and say, okay, I, I meet that about 85% plus, I'll give it a go. I'll put my hat in the ring and I'll, I'll, I'll do an application. Men, that, that standard's much lower than 85%, typically somewhere between 50-55%. So again, by removing all the white noise, focusing on the real critical important stuff only, again, you're, you're, you're just making it appeal more. But, you know, neurodiversity, John, you mentioned there as well. It's mm. great, piece of tech, great, great tech available, and we use it at Level E, where you can declutter language. Again, it's making... You know, it's, it's using two words rather than three sentences. Um, it's using shorter words rather than overly... Con use use words that everybody uses day to day. You know, don't, yeah. don't write these things in a way that makes you sound really intelligent and important because all you're going to do is just push 
um, people, and neurodiversity is really complex, isn't it? You know, yeah. uh, massively, massively complex. But you know, again, using using technology to declutter language to make it you know, again is really important, and, and keeping it really simple, really straightforward. Um, you know, so there's there's so much you need to do around language that's important, but also as well making that process easy for people to apply. You know, so are you mm. using are you using technology? Um, yes or no. But if you are, what about people who struggle? using technology exactly. is there is there an alternative way for them to apply and express an interest and, and, and go down a route are you have you got and again I, you know it's, it's all available isn't it in the modern world but have you got if it's tech-led and if it's on a website or an app tracking system or whatever how, how are you giving people the ability to to change the font size to change the font color mm. um have you got i mean we use it on our website you know have you got something that will change um the written written word into an audio to for people who struggle to read maybe they want to listen to it have you got are you actually giving them the ability to translate it into their preferred first language rather than it always being in english just because you're an english company recruiting english recruiting in england doesn't necessarily mean everybody in the talent pool has english as a as a as a first language and therefore giving them the ability to use a language of their choice to make it more comfortable and easier for them surely that's a good thing isn't it you know so i mean one, one, really one of our clients fairly recently you know even though and i've i've learned something that i didn't know and um, because I'm, I'm not deaf i don't have a, a hearing disability but you know somewhere between 10 and 15 percent of people with hearing disability only 10 or 15 percent use british sign language you know, but, you know, I would have thought with my naivety and my own ignorance that, oh, well, BSL, that's going to work for everybody who's deaf. Mm. No, no, not everybody who's deaf use, use BSL. You Interesting. Know, I didn't know that either. No, exactly. I wanted to share it's that. because Yeah, we learn it's every fair. day, don't we? We learn every day. Mm. But, you know, funnily enough, the client was UK Deaf Sport and we've done a lot of recruiting with UK Deaf Sport. But again, we've got a BSL fee. So for that proportion of people with hearing disability, they can click on that. And there's a BSL sort of side to it. So again, they can feel comfortable because it's about it's about making people feel confident, confident enough mm. to apply, you know. Absolutely. But, one, but once they're in the process, and sorry, that's taken me about six minutes to get to the point of asking answering your question, John. So the application process is really important. Um, so many organizations get this wrong right at the start. What they do is they start asking for loads and loads and loads and loads of detailed information. And people have to spend an hour and a half inputting all their information yeah. into a, an African tracking system only to get rejected automatically. I mean, what a waste of everybody's time that was. Um, you know, so something we're keen to in encourage employers to do is ask for the bare minimum. Uh, uh, yeah. When you need more detail, ask for more detail, but ask for the bare minimum. You don't need to go on this mass data collection. <clears throat> something we collect, and level equals right at the very outset is DEI data. And why? Because it's really important for us and for our clients that we can show what the talent funnel looks like from a DEI data perspective. And why is that important? Not just so we can say, here it is, and carry on as, as, as we would regardless, but actually say, are we attracting the right people to the process? Um, are, we, are we attracting enough religious diversity, um, neurodiversity? Um, 
have we got representation from the LGBTQI community? Um, you know, yes. so, you know, hidden disabilities, physical disabilities, and the socioeconomic stuff we spoke about earlier. Well, social mobility. You know, we ask, um, we ask about parents' levels of qualification. We ask about parents' levels of, of earnings. Yeah, you know, so it's so it's really important that we can show and demonstrate mm. what proportion of the talent funnel at what stage. Is, rep is represented and also again it's that intersectionality piece that we need to consider you know that's that's really important as well because quite often um diversity isn't you know you're not you're not just one one strand of, of a diverse person people are people are made up of multiple streams aren't we and there's all <laughs> there's all sorts of things to consider there so so yeah getting 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 that application process is, is really is really important now caroline you mentioned about the action um earlier on there and, and uh, yeah mm -hmm. you've got you've got real extremes here that you can go to so you can start off by mm -hmm. just having a collecting a full cv and using a full cv and letter mm -hmm. of application if you want to recruit the way it's always been done and my word mm -hmm. of warning with that is you're going to recruit the way you've always done it and maybe you change your language and maybe you bring some nice tech in you know to make the application process simple but if your default is full cv letter of application somebody reviewing that one individual that is that's is about as biased as you're going to get so using technology to redact information certain identifiers is a good idea i mean we 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 at level equals go to an absolute extreme we remove we don't use a cv at all it doesn't get used as part of the process and um, we don't use letter of application it's all pre-qualification questions um, which are very simple. Do you have this? Because this is a prerequisite of the job. Yes. And therefore, if yes. you don't, I'm sorry, you're out. So let's get those pre-qualifications yeah. out of the way really early yeah. because then anybody yeah. that just isn't right isn't right and we're not wasting their time or our time. Yeah. And then what we, what we use is we use this thing called um, work sample questions, which is almost like work-based scenarios. Um, you might think about things like competency-based interviewing, but yeah, talking to people about okay, imagine you're now in this role and this situation happened. How would you deal with it? How would you respond? What we're not doing is we're not talking about how many years experience have you got as a CEO or how many years have you worked within this sector or what degree do you have? Because most time, you know, nine times out of 10, people ask for academic qualifications. The role doesn't even require them. So why ask, why ask for them? Oh, it's a bugbear you know, of mine. It's yeah, just it's nuts. And what And why, if it needs a degree, why does it have to be a 2-1 or an honours? And why are you looking for somebody that's, has been to the same university you have. Why, why, is it, why has it got to be a red brick university? Why has it got to be Oxbridge or something? You know, bugs, bugs the hell out of me. It really, really does. Yeah, all you're really doing, do. all you're doing is narrowing it down and you'll end up, you know, and I can say this because I am one, you know, it'll be a white man, it'll be a middle-class man and it'll be somebody from a certain educational background. Now, I, I'm not from a certain, I am, you know, I am the former, I'm not the latter because I left school with a couple of O-levels at grade C because I'm that old, your audience might be thinking O-levels, they're going to have to Google that. <laughs> it, 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 it was an old thing in the older days. Um, and I never went to university. I've got a degree, never graduated. I, I didn't either. I you know, but, but why does it matter? You know, because in most instances it doesn't. But the work sample stuff's really critical. So, you know, for example, you know, we, we, we've got a role at the, at the moment of working with, with an organisation and um, there's five, five work samples that every applicant at that stage is going to answer. Now, we've designed those work samples with the client right at the front end, and we've also designed a scoring matrix with that client at the front end. So what happens when, I don't know, I'm going to keep it simple for myself. 
100 people have gone through that process. So we've got mm -hmm. 500 answers to score. Okay, what happens? We actually engage within our organization, diverse panels to do that scoring. They don't sit together. They sit independently and apart, and it's the technology that manages the process. Why? Is we don't want too much groupthink. We don't want a dominant individual leading a conversation on why they think an app is suitable. And the technology basically just randomizes the order in which those answers are thrown out. So people are basically not, not scoring candidate one, answer one to five, then candidate two. Because again, that's bias. That will bring bias into the process. Mm -hmm. But it randomizes everything completely. And, we, and, and every member of the panel is scoring based on that matrix. But interestingly, that panel needs to be diverse as well. So we make sure there's representation as broad as we can possibly make it. Some, some have got experience of doing that role that the applicant's applying for. Others have no experience in that role. Um, you know, again, we're looking for diversity of thought. And what then happens as part of the process we deploy is the technology then basically ranks the candidates accordingly. We will take those candidates to the client and say, you, you know, you said you wanted to interview three. Well, here's the top three. Are you happy to interview? Yes, we are. Um, at that point, they still don't know it, the makeup of those of that shortness. They still can't. Like, they don't know how old they are. They don't know where they live. They don't know their gender. They don't know their sex. Now we give DEI. We give DEI data as part of that process through, so yeah. it starts to so they can see what that group of maybe three, six, or whatever it is people are. But the only time we ever share the identifiers is once we've confirmed interviews for all the people. And actually, going to that point, we, we absolutely mandate that there will be no one-to-one -one interviewing as part of our process. Mm. That includes candidate side as well. Uh, sorry, employer side as well. They, they have to use structured um, questions, have to use panel interviews, panels need to be diverse. I know it sounds like we're a bit dictatorial, but we want to be because we don't want bias to come right in at the back end of the process and undermine everything that we've done and everything we've mm. delivered to date. So, so yeah, that, that application process, you've got to really shake it up. You've got to really think about it. And you don't have to go to the extreme that we've gone, but don't just have CVs coming through and somebody sitting there sifting them because it's about as biased as you're going to get. You know? And that almost comes back to the ATSs because the ATSs are just geared for that. So you send your CV, like you said, cover letter. Yes, I can work in the UK. This is the salary I want. This is my notice period. That's really kind of the basic information you get because that's how ATSs are set up to ask those questions. And for an individual or the hiring manager and the talent team to review the CV and say yes, no, isn't it? So it's almost like going back to the tech and saying, right, let's let's make ATSs have that function mm -hmm. so companies can go, option, yes, I want to click yeah. that button. So I don't just have that one option. More, I yeah. I various different bits because it always needs to come from there as well, doesn't it? It, it, it absolutely does. Um, and yeah. the good news is, is more and more now, tech providers are understanding that they need to do this mm. and are doing this and they're using, um, you know, and I, I was speaking with one the other day and they've just introduced a new oh, version yeah. of their platform that allows um, either full redaction or partial redaction. Um, it allows maybe the HR team to have access to a CV, but hiring managers have no access yes, to a CV. Yes, yes, so I've had so that forth. before. So, yeah, so yeah, before, you know, yeah. again, it's, yeah. it's, it's coming. You know, it is yeah. coming and things are changing. Totally. So I take, I take a lot of positives out of that. My, my challenge is I don't think change is happening quick enough. 
and organizations aren't being agile enough. And let's face it, not all organizations have access to that technology or don't understand that they need to be using that and therefore are just applications in the post or via email and they're going into an inbox and people are sifting oh, through yes. it. And if they, get, if they get too many, then once they've gone through the first 30 and they've found three they like, they stop. Well, actually, the best ones were with the next page, the next click away. Oh, you know? I review them all. I'm that really annoying. If there's 2,000, I'm going through the lot because everyone needs you, to have a, a but Which is really... Everyone needs is, to say no. Which oh, is yeah. really, really painful, isn't it? So if you yeah. are doing that and taking that approach, how can we deploy progressive technology yeah. so you, people don't have to sit there spending hours and hours and hours? Mm -hmm. Let's use technology progressively in an inclusive way to actually do that process for you. And, and therefore, mm -hmm. you know, it makes a lot of sense because this is all about, from an HR perspective and from an organisational perspective, you know, it's cost per hire, it's time to hire, it's, exactly. it's how you know how long's that vacancy been been empty because for every day that goes by that somebody's not in situ um that's a problem for the organization because somebody somebody's okay. role's not being done um yeah you know effectively yeah, yeah, exactly. so so yeah, yeah there's, exactly. there's there's an awful lot of considerations there definitely i mean there's there was literally so much in that that would be it I'm sure, Caroline, you'd agree with this, and Miles, from your recruitment background, that should be happening, not even from a, a DEI point of view, but just some good recruitment point of view when mm. you're talking about the things like how you advertise, how you do your mm. candidate attraction, are just standard things that would help across the entire recruitment process and bring mm. better outcomes. Absolutely. Um, for it so again we're back to that even if you did it for the most selfish of reasons you know yeah. there is that core yeah. reason you know to do it yeah i mean there were you covered so much there in that the people can take in in sort of manageable steps i guess over that recruitment process to to help do it i think one of the big challenges as you said it's and speaking from a recruiter's point of view is you do all this at the outset and as Caroline brought it up, these people then have to sit somewhere. So you've gone through mm -hmm. a recruitment process. So removing bias on that second bite of the, the cherry, if you will, must be a difficult one. As you said, is it just stopping hiring managers seeing who's there? Because what you don't well, want to do is once you funnel people through once, just keep putting them through the same process, I guess. Yeah, I was, I, I was going to say, it's not, look, we're not, we're not going to stop people seeing people. It's just about making sure that, you know, um, our process around it from a candidate, from an employer, and if there's an intermediary from a from an agency point of view, um, that all that all bases are covered and the processes are as fair as they possibly can be. Um, mm. and, and the processes are, are inclusive if they can be, you know. Um, you know, if you get again, you can do all that stuff you want with language. You know, we talked earlier about that. But if all you're going to go and do is advertise in the same old places, look, I'm sorry to say this, and LinkedIn won't be very happy. But not everybody does hang out on LinkedIn. Not everybody uses Indeed. No. Um, you know, part of the work that we've done at Level Equals, and, and with literally every day, there's there's something new happening. Is you know, understanding that you need to go to certain underserved communities, find out where those people hang out, go to those communities, a little bit cap in hand and say, we need you. We want you to come into our process. We need you to apply. And, and why, why I said cap in hand is because there's a lot of people that have been so beaten up by normal, normal standard recruitment processes that just stop bothering. 
the brilliant individuals mm-hmm. that just stopped applying for say non-exec roles because they never get one they never get the opportunity why because it's the same old you know cv letter of application and if you haven't worked in this type of business for that many years yes. and you've got that degree from that university say, degree. yeah not in not interested and it's tra- it's a tragedy because mm-hmm. people people's talents are being wasted so you know for example again just going back to level equal we operate within sport recreation leisure so we've got link ups with pride sport with an organization called sportive which is a big charity in grassroots sport recreation leisure we've got scope who obviously represent a, a community of disabled people so when we get an opportunity within sport record leisure those communities will also get those opportunities because most a lot of those people aren't hanging out now, we use the traditional places, of course, we put it on LinkedIn, of course, we put it on Indeed, of course, we put it on all the job boards, but it's, it's, it's the niche specialist job boards you want to go to. It's the niche specialist communities. It's building those bridges. That's what you need to think of as a talent professional within an organization. If you're an in-house recruiter, for example, or an HR person tasked with doing recruitment as well, it's, it's thinking about where are we going to do that outreach? Because otherwise, if you're going change loads of things but then just do the same old stuff on outreach you'll just get the same people applying because you're not yeah, doing anything exactly. different so everything mm-hmm. has to change but that's the, that's the purpose of you know we talked about dei audit um something that we realized within our first because level equals is only 18 months old now but we realized within our first 12 months which is why we changed our value proposition is we are going to be in the process now where we've just launched uh, an lnd program because we had organizations saying this is great what you do, but we need to understand it more. We need our hiring managers to be more engaged and understand mm. what the process is, what you're going to be doing. But also we want to be better ourselves. We need to hire better for ourselves as well as get mm. people like you supporting to us. So, so we've launched our L&D program. But interestingly, um, and this isn't a sell because it's not ready yet, um, but we're going to be <laughs> developing our DEI consultancy piece but purely through the lens of talent acquisition because even even when we've been into organizations that have got great stuff around DEI and inclusive cultures going on quite often around TA they're really letting themselves down I agree really letting themselves down I think you can have all the DNI in place internally but if you're not bringing the people internally to begin with then it doesn't matter does it so no mm. You, you know, it's really got to lead partly from from TA. They've got to have that as part of their ethos. So you've got to hire the right TA team to have that as part of their belief and really part of their hiring process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely how we are at the Small Consultancy. It's so at our core. I'm very passionate about it, as you can tell. Yeah, uh, really, but, it, really, um, it, really, yeah. it really is. And you, know, you can get some amazing results. I mean, you know, we, we you know, I always remember one client you know, very early on, you know, a hiring manager that was hugely sceptical. We were rather forced on this hiring manager by head of HR because okay. they loved what we did and they wanted that person's team to be the test case. Why? Because they had a team that was made up of white men, all with degrees, all between the ages of 25 and 40. So they wanted to break wow. the mould. Now, interestingly, the person that got the role was foreign. She was, she was a lady. And... Um, didn't have a degree and interestingly got got the role and hiring manager said at the end of the process do you know what if i'd had that cv i'd have rejected it out of hand and that person went on very quickly got promoted within their first 12 months of, of being that role and i was going to ask what was the outcome yeah 
count that person as one of the best hires they've actually made, an outstanding individual, um, that they would have rejected out of hand if they just had the CV dropped through the door because they, because they, weren't, because they weren't based in the UK. No, and it's also comfort sort of thing as well. Like, I know this person worked. Also, they look like me. And yeah. that person's going to work. And yeah. they, they've come from a university. I understand that university. I went to that university. I know that degree. And it's when you start going. And that's a, I think it's a confidence thing that hiring managers need to go, I need to hire me plus 20, you know, and, and really think outside the box. But again, it's just Look, we're, we're all, giving them the confidence to do that. Yeah, there's nothing embarrassing to admit. We're all biased. You know, everybody mm -hmm. in the room put their hands up who's biased. If somebody doesn't put their hand up, they're just not aware that they're biased. That's all it is. It's not about it's not about consciously doing stuff. It's it's just subconsciously yeah. doing it. We all yeah. have it. You yeah, know, yeah, whether yeah. it's you know, I did I did uh, an article the other day because because years ago, look, I'll, I'll show. You. Look, look, I've got tattoos. Yeah. I haven't got oh, them yeah. now, but I used to have I used to have five piercings in my ear and one in my nose, and mm. you know, look. Did you? So, so is there bias against yeah body modification? If somebody rocks yes. up and they've got shocking pink hair, um, or if somebody's got an, a, a, an obvious tattoo or a piercing, what about BMI bias? People who maybe um, have a certain mm. BMI index. What about accent bias? You know. Um, you know, there's so many, and, and the reason why I say about all of those is none of those are protected characteristics. Yeah. So, you know, for me, and you know, people talk about, oh, video interviewing, isn't it great? Yeah, but is it? Because if you do one-to-one -one interviewing and you're hiring based on one person's perspective, then, you know, and look, I've seen it. I've seen it happen where people who have a certain visual impact are hired into roles that are public facing roles um you know and and, it, and it's that effect and look i know beauty's in the eye of the beholder but i think you know where my head is on this is it's oh look they're really pretty they're really pleasing on the eye that let's let's get them in that job oh that person maybe i don't see as that so therefore we'll just put those in the back office won't we you know it's bloody disgraceful but it goes on and you see it time oh 100 time again i i have uh, feedback someone's too pretty yeah, I'm in the US, Victoria's Secret, you know, had a massive issue with this, oh, didn't yeah. they, a few years ago, you know, for those that don't know, you know, ama amazing underwear, you know, store in, in the US. But yeah, so they, they were just hiring people who, you know, it was almost like, right, yeah, let, let's just get a load of like female models working in our stores because that will just make us look amazing, Wayne you know, and yeah, yeah. it's crazy that organisations get away with that stuff. It really is. I've I yeah. think I've told you this before, Caroline, but I'm currently banned from a chain of local local Chinese restaurants for arguing with them on Facebook about why they were asking for photographs with their with their waitress application. <laughs> and this went on for about three months until they eventually banned me every time they reposted <laughs> it. But as you said, it, it, it people That's said, crazy. People, and, and you said a lot of time people aren't necessarily consciously making those decisions, but everybody is biased against certain things and yeah. it just needs to be moved. But one of the things, and again, this should, this would be familiar is when people, and people still do it, the culture fit interview, you know, for their team. So yes. they've passed the skills and then they just want to have a nice chat for half an hour to see how you'll fit into their team. Yeah. And but, but why? Why do they need to fit into this one single thing that you've created? Because you think they'll have the same sense of humour. And again, we, we've had a few debates with people on posts on LinkedIn, haven't we, on this, Caroline, about, yes. about people saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, I want to know they've got the same sense of humour. 
why? Why does your accounts assistant having the same sense of humor as you going to mean that they will A, fit in better to the team or B, be more productive within that team? It just, yeah. And how do you get that from into it? And also the reason why they're rejected is they don't fit in the culture, isn't it? Mm. It's like, but, but okay. Yeah, you know, how do you give that feedback sets. to someone? Yeah. Yeah, I hate it when you get that. It's just okay. It's, it's, so look, feed, feed, feedback's a really interesting point you just mentioned there. So let, let mm. let's talk about mm. those two things. So in terms of culture, look, if an organisation's forward thinking and things, let's let's do, let's do, let's let's use a profiling tool. Let's use an assessment. Let's look at what that what the makeup of that team is actually like, and let's then through, with the shortlisted candidates, let let them go each go through that profiling exercise. And then let's look at them in relationship to that team. Look, yeah. I think that's a really cool thing to do. And there's lots of different tests and profiling tools you might want to do. So I think yeah. I think there's a there's a really valid way of actually thinking about let's understand how this person fits in. Um, and it's not about finding everybody, you know, that everybody's got to be a purple square because actually we need some red triangles mm. and some green hexagons and everything like that. But it's but it's understanding what what how do they complement, but actually where do they plug gaps. Um, is the team currently leaning too far in one direction? Do we need somebody radically different to bring the team back to the center ground in, in, in terms of maybe their thinking? Or do we need somebody who's really creative? You know, do we have yeah. creative thought within that team? Do we have implementers in that team? You know, and so on and so forth. So I think that's good. But going, going off that whole, yeah, do I like them? Do I think they'll fit in? No, it's just nuts, isn't it? Because yeah. you're just going to hire somebody that you've got that affinity bias with. Um, which, mm -hmm. which which is absolutely bonkers, isn't it? It really, really mm -hmm. is. So I think I think doing that fit as part of the team, I think, does work. But it's how you it's how you do it. It's absolutely. really really important. It really is. What was sorry? What was the second point? I've I've completely lost my. Um, I said there was two things there I wanted to talk about. Feedback <sighs> and ah, feedback, feedback. Yes, thank you. Yes. Right. Feed what? Because in, in most instances, what, what what's the biggest bugbear of candidates that aren't successful? Yeah. Oh, no 100%. No, no feedback, mm. lack of, you know, quality of feedback, no feedback, whatever it is. So, so giving feedback to people at, at various stages is really important. If they're going to get rejected, why they've been rejected. Um, if, as, as again, you know, not keep going back to level equals, but every, every candidate goes through those work sample questions, for example, will get feedback. Um, they'll get feedback um, in, the, in the form of um, a graph. And the graph basically says, this is what you answer. This is how you scored for each of the answers. This is how the average scored. And this is, these, are the, these are the scores for the one the group that got carried forward. So you're giving, you're giving people something, okay, I can see where I fell short. Now, we also say to everybody, if you want personal feedback, do callers and engage with us and so on and so forth and, and less than 10 percent of people actually say they want that personal one-to-one -one feedback but just by offering it i think it's really really important so doing that feedback piece is is, is critical for me um, and it's why so many people get so disaffected of going through processes with yeah you know for example we talked about ats but if you're using purely an ats to do everything for you other than the interviewing well what's happening with the feedback where's where's the engagement yeah. you know and, and businesses will be really mindful that you know for every person that gets the role there might be 200 that don't what what's happening with that what impression are you leaving those 200 mm -hmm. people Absolutely. those 199 other people with you know i'm not saying you've got to be ev everything to everybody but 
yeah, there's a good chunk of those people that have been rejected that might be good for another role now, might be good for a different role in the future. Um, so just handling them as yeah. decent, relevant humans and showing a bit of care and a bit of love Absolutely. Um, doesn't take much. I'll tell you what, it will come back in, in, in spades. And, but importantly, as an organisation, do you ask for candidate all candidates to score your process, you know, net promoter score, something like that, for example. Um, because if you don't, again, you're missing a trick. You don't know how good you are at, at hiring. So why aren't you measuring hiring? You know, at, at, again, at level equals, we we do that. And, you know, we're running really high on candidate advocacy. It's running at about 88% across all projects in the last 12 months. Why? Because we put a process in place that cares about people, that they feel included. Yeah. So even yeah. even yeah. when they're rejected, even had one, one candidate once, this, this really... Lovely, lovely girl she was dead unlucky didn't get the role and another role got advertised by that organization and it wasn't it wasn't one that we were working on with them she reached out to us and she said are you guys recruiting that role for those mm. we're like no and she's like i'm not going to bother applying there she Why? had such a good experience with us and she thought oh, oh, I if, see. if they're just gonna, if they're you're just not doing use, it so if they're just going to use my cv if they're just going to go if they, you know if i'm just going to get rejected so i'm not going to bother you know, she was, she was so frustrated. She didn't get the, she didn't get the role in the end, which was really sad. But um, but yeah, you know, she was literally saying, "I loved it so much. I felt so, I felt I belonged in it. I felt involved. I felt included." Yes, you know, so important. Um, you know, and and that and that's not big in up what we did as an organisation, but just saying to other organisations, you've got to do, you've got to add more value. No, hundred percent agree. Show that you care. Show how important these people are to you, because do you yeah. know what? They'll they'll stop others applying. You know, bad words always, exactly always travel point. quicker than yeah. good, doesn't it? You know, hundred percent. And as you said, if they're let's say it's down to just not not enough experience within a certain part of the role or, or the job description, then let's say they come back in six months, three years time and go, I've got that experience now, and I can see your advertising. I really want to work with you guys. Brilliant. Yeah. You know, uh, you've you've already met that candidate. You've already got some information about them. So no, hundred percent agree with that. Big advocate. I mean, Bandly for me, journey. that quantifiable results that you can give somebody would almost overnight kind of kill the people not giving feedback. Because I still think the main reason the recruiters don't give feedback is because they don't have the feedback to give generally. So they no. either or they they no. hide or, you know, they, they don't want to lie to their candidates. You know, they're given no. something, they go, well, I can't tell the candidate that. You know, what am I going to tell them? Oh, I'll have to make something up. And so it's they'll just avoid it or they'll just go to ground. And I think, make something if, up. yeah, I mean, if you give somebody quantifiable data of this is why you didn't get the role, they will give the candidate that feedback. I mean, they could overnight yeah. kind of eliminate one of the biggest bugbears in the whole of recruitment. Yeah, yeah. 100% agree. And the hiring managers, you're right. I do sit on hiring managers and say, <clears throat> yes, but what was the feedback? Can you give me more information? Not just no culture fit. You know, it, it do sometimes, unfortunately, go rely on that as a no, but it's like, come on, give yeah, me more. Yeah, and it's the yeah. old, there were, there, there were more suitable applicants. Well, <laughs> what do you mean by that? You know, yeah. it, re it really is. It's, it's doing a, you just got to treat people decently as you want to be treated yeah, exactly. yourself. You know, you really have. Yeah. Um, Miles, we, we've obviously overrun the hour already by quite a considerable amount. Um, I, I mean, we'd love to have you 
back on to talk about your other experiences as well um definitely in terms of as you know we mentioned we haven't even touched on the p stuff um or or your leadership coaching yeah either uh well there's another there's you... another two podcasts in there then isn't there yes, at least there is definitely yeah absolutely um, we're gonna ask you one final question obviously we'll give you a chance to let everyone know how they can find you as well and and sort of yeah um you know engage your different businesses uh you know in in different ways um but the last question when we like to ask everybody if you were prime minister for a day what policy would you introduce <laughs> well obviously i'm gonna i'm gonna do it on 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 the whole dei thing and it probably comes back to something we were we were talking about yesterday um, yesterday we were talking about earlier we've only been going for an hour it doesn't feel like yesterday <laughs> so, um, honestly, it doesn't. i'm really enjoying it um <laughs> No, I, I think I think for me it all comes back to we talked earlier about the need for organisations to be more overt in terms of mm. you know reporting you know in terms of diversity you know and and and, and mm. sort of you know so gen, gender pay and gen, and pay parity is really important that should be there in terms of organisational you know, looking at the diversity within organizations, just actually what what do they look like? I, you know, businesses have to, have to, sadly, if it's a case of dragging them, kicking and screaming a little bit, you know, then, then, then mm. let's start doing that because, you know, we can't keep letting down vast swathes of our community, our society by not giving them an opportunity. Um, so I think, I think for me, you know, it would be mandating with, but with a small end, because I think it's encouraging the organisations and business community to see the benefit of having, you know, proper diversity within their organisations, having an inclusive culture. So therefore, it's about, yeah, it's, it, it's really around, you know, um, organisations having hard targets and, and, and being able, having mm. to publish data, because if, 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 if you don't do that, then the feeling is, are you trying, what are you trying to hide and why, you know, um, and look, not all organizations can be really diverse because there's a lot of SMEs there that maybe only employ three people. Well, I'm sorry, you, you're just not going to be able yeah. to be as diverse as you even want to be. But, you know, do you have, you know, things in place to do that? Uh, you know, and, and yeah, it, it's, it really is. It's going to have to be, there's a lot I want to change about the world. Um, you know, but maybe that's one for another another podcast. You can get me on to the uh, elected second chamber and head of state, but that's one for another day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I know we, we said before we start recording that we weren't going to get political on this podcast, but I mean, you're right. And a lot of people will say, oh, nanny state, you know, free market will bring this through. But the benefits are there. And you said earlier, you, you know, there's there's tons of published data around the benefits for DEI. If people were going to do it voluntarily, the whole the whole we're going to do it voluntarily it would have happened by now and you know you'll yeah, always have exactly. people who will see it and go yes that's great we'll gravitate towards it but you, you need that intervention at a certain stage I, to go, no, I, this I, is what I think you've got to we're, we're at the point now where and I'm not you're, you're talking about people and humans here and therefore mm. ha having stuff that's optional shouldn't it shouldn't be it's like <laughs> You know, it's it's tragic. I my, my mindset was really changed when I had kids. I had a daughter. My daughter's ten years old, and having a girl, really, I started to look at things through the lens of her eyes a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. and, and and 
you know, it made me because if I'd probably had two boys rather than a girl and then a boy, I might I might have a slightly different viewpoint. But I look at things now. When I look at things, I look at link things through the lens of her eyes. But then I also, and I know this sounds really twee, and I genuinely this is this is the case. But I also think, you know, what if she was, you know, maybe mixed race, or or, or if she if she if she was if she was South South Asian or or, or or you know Caribbean extraction, whatever it is, and or what if what if she was in a wheelchair? What if she had a you know or he, my son, had a you know. Uh, facial disfiguration, whatever, you know, and mm. I, I don't know. I think sometimes if you can try and put yourself in the shoes of others, if you don't have that lived experience yourself, it's really hard to understand. I, mm. I don't, I didn't think I was privileged because um, I didn't have a particularly affluent upbringing. I wasn't hard done by, you know, I, I didn't go without too much, but there's some people that have absolutely nothing. No. But, there's, okay. but there's other yeah. people that, that at every turn of their lives, they're having doors that closed, doors that slammed in their face, you know, yeah. because of who they are, because of what they are. You know, I'm, I'm confident enough in myself now to be able to say to people, yeah, I've suffered with depression. I suffer with depression, you know, and I've, I've, I've had medication a couple of times in my life for it. I get, I get anxious. Mm -hmm. um, I have little coping mechanisms as well. Um, I'm a little bit dyslexic. You know, that's why I, I realized mm -hmm. that I was no really no good at school in certain subjects. And, you know, my attention spans pretty sport, poor as a result of some neurodiversity. So that's why, I'm, you know, I am what I am and I do what I do. But, you know, but the reality is, is those things shouldn't have limited my potential. But unfortunately, back in the 80s and early 90s, when I was oh, yeah. you know, going through education, early years, career development, things were just blocked to me. You know, and I think yeah. nowadays, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't be putting barriers in anybody's way. And that's why I'm a big. I'm a big fan of, of equity, not just equality, because I think there's a lot of people that if you don't give them that lift up, if you don't give them that additional help and support, it, being, making it open and equal still isn't enough to help certain parts no. of the community no. break through barriers. It really isn't. So I think, you know, it's one thing we're really keen you know, when we have organizations, so really quickly now, when we have organizations and they say, yeah, yeah, typically we'll interview you know, four people for any one role. And we're talking about DEI here. And what we say to them is, look, let the best four come through regardless. Okay. But we understand that you are looking for more diversity within that team. So if that best four doesn't have the right levels of diversity, let's make additional places available. So if we need some diversity um, of ethnicity or gender or age or whatever it might be, Let's make additional places available. But, and, and I think this is just me from a personal level, don't go excluding people and actually candidate number two, you're going to reject because actually you, you're making spaces available for others at, at their expense. I personally think that's wrong. I, I think you all should always let the best come through regardless because you won't, because in our process, you don't see, you don't see what they are, who they are anyway. But let the best yes. form come through. But behind the scenes, if we see that, oh my God, God forbid, that people like me, they're all white and they're all male and they're all heterosexual, then let's go and make sure that we make additional places available for other people to come through the process as well. And therefore mm -hmm. you have that diversity. And, and for me, inclusion should be about that. You know, mm -hmm. if you're going to be really inclusive, mm -hmm. don't start excluding people because all you'll do is you'll disaffect those groups and you'll have other people in your organization that think that's wrong. And hang on a minute. 
you know i'm not yeah. happy about this you know because because yeah. within organizations you know at the moment there's people that are running a little bit scared you know they're protecting the status mm-hmm. quite why because they're because they're sort of you know they're worried they're really worried about oh my god i'm i'm in that bracket now where i'm seen as you know pale male stale and i'm under attack you know but we've got to make those people yeah. feel positive as yeah. well we've got to, we've got to get those people as being allies for change so not you know pushing them really away and, and excluding them you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna push them out and and that isn't good because you need you, it, it, look if white if, if pale stale males hold the power you know within the organization and within business and everything else you've got you got to you got to get those people with you you, you need you. those people mm-hmm. as allies to make change happen you know it really is and it's why you know you know when you see like women only business groups and things like that it's like great but don't exclude men from them you know mm-hmm. make, make them focused on you know gender parity gender equality but don't start excluding people from from processes mm-hmm. and groups and communities because otherwise you know it's that ally, yeah. allyship I, so important isn't it it is and the thing is until you know if you've run in those processes where the best of people are coming through for a certain extent for a while those will still be dominated a lot by the traditional people who've been in those roles because they're the ones with the experience in that workforce so you almost need those additional places but you said it's, it is that balance because you can't alienate people and i mean yeah, yeah it it you well, no we're not going to discuss that because that's going down the political no, so it's basically every you can't really turn on anything at the moment and not have some kind of politics you know about that that sort of going on at the moment um yeah. but no it, it is a balance but uh, your start to that answer you know really kind of rang true that a lot of it comes down to empathy and it's getting people to empathize and i said sometimes you come from i mean i am you know i am university educated i am white you know and I, I did come from a middle class background and you know until you're in your mid twenties, you don't realize that because a lot, you know, you're not surrounded by a lot of people. And I think mm. that will get better, obviously, as the younger generation come through, because they are, and they are surrounded mm. by a more diverse peer group. And you know, they are seeing their peer group not getting the advantages they're getting. So you know, it's more obvious than it was when we were growing up. You know, where mm. you know you might have had only a few people of color, for example, you know, at your school, and you just didn't see it. So I think things like that will improve as time goes on but as you said 100%. it is how do you bridge that empathy gap to a certain extent and get people thinking in the shoes of others yeah no that's that's a that's a, that's a good end that's a good uh, last point definitely <laughs> that's that's a lot of food for thought as well absolutely yeah we've got to change haven't we we've got to um mm. we've got to leave the world in a better place than we found it that's my yeah, that's my mission however long i've got left it's uh making sure that my kids are going to grow, grow up in a world that maybe is a little bit better from, from, certainly yeah, from this DEI perspective than the one that I, Christ, I was brought up in the 80s as a kid and, um, you know, schooled in the yeah. 80s. And my God, that was an ugly time when you look back. I mean, mm-hmm. overt racism, sexism, every, just horrific, horrific. Oh, yeah. It really was. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't amount to anything because I went to an Irish Catholic school and my parents were divorced. And I was told you're not going to amount to anything because your parents are divorced. I was going to say you're Thanks. not going to you're not going to heaven, are you? 
that's fine. <laughs> I'm fine with that. If you've got that within your belief system, you know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's nuts, no. isn't it? It really, really is. Yeah, it really yeah is. It's, mm. it's funny. Amazing. Gosh, we've, we've, we've gone over the extra hour, haven't we? But, uh, Miles, yeah, for anyone amazing. that's said, anyone who is looking to, to engage you, where's, where's best to find you? Um, well, look, just find me on LinkedIn. I'm there. You'll, you'll find me, uh, Miles Lloyd, either under, you'll see all, all of my stuff there. Level equals North Star people, milestones. They're all businesses that I founded, co-founded. Um, just reach out. I, I, as you can tell, I just love sharing knowledge, experience, you know, if, if I can help people in any way, I'm, I'm always happy to do that. Lovely. Um, Miles, it's, it's been a pleasure. We, we, we knew yeah, it was going to be a good one, and it definitely has been. Um, and hopefully we will have you back again shortly. Thank you for listening to The Small Podcast. We'll be back with even more guests discussing their careers in private equity and how they met the challenges of working in high-change environments. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe on your podcast app of choice and leave us a rating on Apple or Spotify. The Small Consultancy is an in-house recruitment support to PE and VC-backed scale-up startups and carve-outs. We provide in-house recruitment support to companies going through periods of growth and change. We've worked with PE-backed scale-ups across industries such as defence, energy, green tech and edtech for companies including Jane's, Breathe Energy and for trade associations such as the British Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, BBCA. We understand how critical it is to get the right talent in place to meet growth targets and funding cycles. If you'd like to discuss how we can help you grow, please get in touch.